When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. I've ever been more excited on a Friday morning. There's some positivity. Zero cases locally in Victoria this morning. Gee, we've waited for that. Well done to all of you Victorians doing it so tough and who have sacrificed, hopefully, a bit of freedom this morning. Um, has you up and about. Connor Rosie kicks five, including four in a quarter, albeit my Port Adelaide went down. We'll get to that shortly. And Chris Ryan from The Ringer is joining us at 10.35 on the captain's run this morning. If you don't know who Chris Ryan is, he's one of the most talented podcasters, sports and pop culture in the world. He works at The Ringer. You'll hear him on The Watch Pod, The Rewatchables, and also The Ringer NBA show. And he's partner of crime of Bill Simmons, who I know a lot of you certainly a lot of our um, on-air people um, have looked up to for a long time. So Chris is going to join us. We just have a massive show. Obviously, it is dictated too by your calls. What do you want to chat about? We've cleared the decks as we always do in the first hour. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. Thursday night footy was back. What a game of football it was! Forwards kicking goals, unbelievable display. Chad Corns will join us to wrap that one up. He was on the boundary line last night and he's an assistant coach at Port Adelaide. Sinead Diver is a 40-odd-year-old marathon runner who's punched her ticket to the Olympic Games, did an amazing sit-down piece with Hamish McLaughlin in the Sunday Herald Sun last weekend. Uh, we'll get her on to chat through her Olympic preparations. We've got the quiz and your call. So let's get the phones ringing. I want to start the show with this. Did the game last night, and G. Jared Waitley, Dwayne Russell, Nicky Dell were in fine form for Thursday night footy, the best call in the business. And I said during the game and after the game, it's time we start talking more about Geelong. In 10 minutes during the final quarter of Geelong's 21-point win at Adelaide Oval last night, Jeremy Cameron reminded us all why the club was willing to give up a record trade haul of three first-round draft picks for the former Giant during the trade period last year. He kicked three goals in that 10-minute period during the last quarter to snuff out any hope of a Port Adelaide victory. I'm not telling you anything new, but he's a multi-dimensional player. He's capable of kicking his goals in a variety of ways. Last night, he slotted a long bomb from outside 50 in the first quarter from a wraparound handball. He kicked one at a stoppage as if he was an elite midfielder in the game. He can mark it, and he can also slip out the back of opposition defences for easy walk-in goals. His inclusion 
Most concerningly for the opposition, has in no way impacted the form of Tom Hawkins, who I reckon is almost, big statement, almost in career-best form. So the duo combined for 13 shots on goal, and they had 23 score involvements. Cameron Hawkins, Rowan and Dangerfield when he's there, is the most intimidating forward mix in the AFL. The Cats took 18 marks inside 50. As outgoing Collingwood coach Nathan Buckley alluded to in his media conference on Wednesday, Geelong led last year's grand final by 15 points. They then added Cameron, Sean Higgins and Isaac Smith to an already stacked side. All the talk has been about Melbourne, and rightly so this year, but Geelong are just as good and they know how to time its run. The focus will rightly be on the forward end, but the defensive end was just as good as highlighted by 18 intercept marks to 11 against Port last night. They kicked 11 goals from turnovers. That's modern football. The midfield is stacked. Dangerfield, Duncan, Selwood, Smith, Menegola, Guthrie when he returns, and the best run-with player, Mark O'Connor, who once again took the chocolates against the red-hot Travis Boak last night. And they're well-coached. We know that. I know he's got his detractors, but Chris Scott is such a good coach, and he was so impressive from behind the glass in Adelaide last night. At nine wins and three losses, with wins against Brisbane, West Coast, Richmond, and now Port, and five games remaining at GMHBA on the run home, top four, perhaps top two, is an absolute lock. This week, we are going to be talking a lot about the Cats. We may just have an equal premiership favourite. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Get the phones ringing. You can send me a temper text for a mattress like no other. 0433 Yeah, get it ringing. It was, they just can time their run. I haven't spoken about them a lot, but when you look through their record, the teams that they've beaten, the way they up, Absolutely smashed the West Coast Eagles. Five games at home in the run home. I think they got three at the MCG. They travel about three or four times only. They're going to time their run absolutely beautiful. Dangerfield will be peaking come finals time. Guthrie will be back into that lineup. And look out. Are they the equal premiership favourites with Melbourne. Let me know your thoughts on that. Obviously, it's been a big week. Um, Collingwood fans, we've spoken a lot about your club this year. Last week at this very time, I, I spoke about the mess that was at the pies and, and that was compounded this week with Nathan Buckley standing down. So I know it's been done a lot, but I, I am interested in your thoughts as well. Um, where to next? Footy clubs move on pretty quickly and, and after Monday, the search for a coach, if it hasn't already, will ramp up. Who is your ideal candidate to coach your football club? Happy to take all of your calls and take the show in any direction that you would like. George wants to do that. He, he was on the line before we even got underway this morning. George is ready to talk. He's got something to get off his chest. You want to chat about the pies, George. How do you see it and the events of this week? Uh, good morning, Kane. I'm a non-voting member, but I have a message for the current inept Collingwood board. If they're still there at Collingwood come season 2022, I will not be renewing my membership until all of them have gone, including all of the recruiting department and the newly come uh, manager, Graham Wright, who is only back at Collingwood just to, for his uh, retirement benefits. And I want to wish 
Nathan Buckley all the best. And I hope he goes to GWS and wins a flag because he deserves it. Thank you. Good on you, George. Thanks for kicking us off this morning. You can have your say, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 Mao is on the line. Uh, Dangerfield's on your radar, Mao. Yeah, uh, uh, um, what's his name? Um, he, he, he took another dive last night. No one talked about it. It was a real amazing one. It was like he did a little tap and he just did, like, tried to get the free kick. He got in trouble, though, didn't he, last year about that, take, you know, doing the 30? I mean, he um, did it again. No one's He's not alone. Uh, as, as much as I <laughs> love Connor Rosie, I reckon he exaggerated contact for a free kick late to kick his fifth. Free kick may have been there, but certainly the contact was exaggerated. I didn't see that one, uh, Mao. Um, but umpiring is a topic. Not that I thought it affected the result in any way, but there was some question marks over the umpiring as well. Uh, Steve's in Lilydale. Steve, am I right in saying I was listening to, might have been Jared during the week, and I heard you singing on the radio. Is that, am I correct in saying that? I'm a man of many talents, Kane. Man of many talents. Uh, I, I've heard you sing a few times, Kane, and then uh, you haven't brought that to you haven't brought that to the captain's run yet. What were you um, What were you singing, Steve? What was the song? No, Andy, no, Andy started the uh, Andy started. He usually starts his little run in with a little bit of uh, of their song, and he didn't do it on one day, and I didn't I didn't like it. It needed uh. to be done, Kane. So that, okay, that's well, well I, nearly, I nearly drove off the road. Don't do it again. Uh, what did you make of the footy last <laughs> night? No doubt you were critical of Port Power, as you like to call them. Yes, yeah, okay. Well, I mean, it's a bit miserable over here. We're all wearing masks. We're in lockdown. Half of Melbourne's got no power. But, geez, did I wake up with a little ray of sunshine came this morning with the, the Port Power franchise choking again. But, look, it's not even... It's The story's not even about um, Connor Rosie playing his first good game in a year and a half. It's not about Charlie Dixon actually playing. The story is about that... Other than Boke and um, Wines, Port Power have, have no good players. And we were told at the start of the year that, um, that, that they were premiership favourites, going to win three of the next five premierships, Kane. Um, and even at the start of the year, you were talking about how, oh, their depth, they lack for nothing. They've got more depth than any team. And now all of a sudden, all your Port, Port Power supporters are talking about you get three or four injuries and, oh, we've got, we've got no depth, we've got no good players. Who just so says they're only, who just says they're only good players again? I want, I want this on record. Who, who are Port's only good players? Uh, Boken Wines. Uh, they're, right, they're, the only, they're the only players that would get a game in Adelaide's lineup. Okay, so, right. Uh, right. All right, they got they got a bloke who kicked four goals in about ten minutes last night. Reckon he goes all right for a third year player. Good on you, Steve. Appreciate your impact as always. But let's get on to people who actually make sense, like John in Frankston. Johnny, good morning. G'day, Kane. Um, look, I'm a Geelong supporter. Was happy with the win last night. Um, just a couple of issues with the Cats. I'll, I'll give you Colin Jasney. You know, in critical moments last night, didn't go hard enough. When Charlie Dixon was coming, didn't put his body on the line. He's a bit, bit soft and a bit slow for mine. I don't see how Luke Dalhouse gets a game every week ahead of guys like Narkel and uh, Jordan Clark. And as you mentioned the umpiring before, four, four free-kick goals to Port Adelaide, every one of them was very, very iffy. Now, I'm not saying they absolutely weren't there, but I'm saying in the heat of a final, they're free kicks. Well, even Charlie Dixon's one for holding. Henderson hardly laid a... wasn't even... Uh, Charlie just pulled back. He just made this thing like he was getting tugged by the jumper, but there was no tug, and the umpire fell for it, and he gives him a free kick. Now, if that game gets played down at uh, our ground, 
we win that game by eight goals. Uh, I, yeah, I think you know it's a tougher task for Port Adelaide playing there. I, I thought the umpiring decisions went both ways. You remember Port were coming hard in the last quarter. Mitch Georgiades takes two marks inside 50 that were reversed and Geelong get them. So I'm with you, though. I agree. If in doubt, put the whistle away. They blew it far too many times, particularly in the last quarter. It didn't affect the result, thank goodness. But, yeah, the standard of umpiring this year... Hasn't been great. I think we can all agree on that. I'm, I'm sure it is uh, on the AFL's radar. There, there's far too many free kicks that are being missed, obvious ones, and there's too many that have been paid that just shouldn't be paid that even the players are confused about. Uh, let's go to Nick in Grange. I missed this incident, but uh, I did see that Chris Scott was, was nearly tripped in the crowd as he made his way down for three-quarter time. Chris, is that what happened, and how did you see it? Oh, g'day, Kane. Firstly, as a neutral uh, supporter, I mean, I'll back to the Hawks. It was a fantastic game last night. Um, it does uh, do my head in how well Geelong have been performing, you know, since their golden era. Well done to them. But the, yeah, I just wanted to call out, I only saw a bit of it, but to those supporters, not directly power supporters, but any supporters have a crack or try and do something to a coach, you're bloody idiots, really. Mm. At the end of the day, it's a really bad look for the game, and you know, we're going to go down the stage where, like in soccer, where they've got tunnels, you know, mm. they've got tunnels that the players and the, and the coaches have to walk through to avoid the spectators. You don't want to go down that path. You don't. Uh, Eddie Maguire's been big on this. He, he thinks that uh, coaches shouldn't be walking through the crowds. Hasn't been many issues at the Adelaide Oval. I think you know, a fan waved a tissue at Damien Hardwick in one game. That was reasonably innocent. I don't think Damien was affected by that too much. But any time you get close to it. It just shouldn't happen. And, and if it does, throw the book at them, ban them for life um, and, and press charges. It shouldn't happen. And security's probably got to be better, uh, albeit I, I preface that by saying I didn't see the incident because I didn't have Channel 7's coverage of the game in front of me in uh, the commentary box last night. Mick's on the line. Uh, Mick, you've got a potential trade for the pies, perhaps? Oh, uh, not just that. I, I, um, well, it would be nice to get in, but the, the rumour was on, on, on the Gary and Tim's show that uh, Jamara was looking uh, maybe possibly at other clubs. But I was wondering if the managers saw his managers sort of put this rumour out to sort of force to, force him to get a game. Hmm. And also, I'd just like to say uh, good luck to the Pies on Monday. First and foremost, hopefully they do it for themselves. But, you know, just a more little bit fight for, uh, for Buckley as well. And just another one more last thing for the Cats. Yeah, they're going good. They always look good in the home and away to only fall over in the finals. And this will be 10 years since the Cats have won a flag. This will be, probably be their best chance. And if Chris Scott doesn't win it, will he be under scrutiny? Uh, they always fall over in the finals. Well, they made a grand final. They're leading by 15 points at half time. I, I'm not sure you can say they always fall over in a grand final. They're hard to win. Just ask Nathan Buckley. They are hard to win. Uh, I'd be pretty comfortable with Chris Scott as my coach. If Geelong don't want him, someone else would. Uh, thank you to you, Mick, and, and well said with your thoughts on Collingwood. A lot of those coming through on the temper text as well. Bo's in sunshine. Uh, Hawkins and Cameron, formidable duo, Bo. Yeah, Kane, I just want to uh, firstly applaud you for giving them credit. Um, I just don't think they get enough, especially Cameron. Um, what he did last night was um, an amazing performance. When you think about it, if it was Dustin Martin, hmm. everyone would be carrying hmm. on in the AFL media. So 
I just wanted to uh, applaud Tom as well because I just think he's one of the great forwards of all time now. I think he's um, he's 30, what, 31, 32, and he's um, playing like the way he is. I just I just I just applaud both of those guys, and I think um, they're a real credit to themselves and to John. Well said, mate. Yeah, I, and your point on on Martin. I mean, if if Franklin or Martin does what he did. You imagine the, the commentators all over. Buddy, I'm sure, you know, Cameron, I think Gary spoke this morning about how impressed he was with uh, Jeremy Cameron this morning. But that's what you pay him for, um, and that's why they gave up such a big price. They're all in, and shout-out to Tom Hawkins. I tweeted the other day that uh, he's just walk-in Hall of Fame, Tom Hawkins. I had a couple of people push back on that, which I couldn't believe. Just book your ticket to the Hall of Fame in six, seven years' time. Hawkins is an automatic selection in the Hall of Fame. Remarkable footballer, Tom Hawkins, and so selfless. Another 12 score involvements last night. Jim's in Essendon. G'day, Jim. Good morning, Kane, and I love your show. Good on you, mate. Kane, the president of Mark Ledudashay would have to go down in the worst president in the history of the Carlton Football Club. They have brought this club down to its knees, mate, and he's clowned on the board. What's your opinion about that? Oh, I'm, I don't want to be as personal as you have been, Jim, but you can't. I mean, football is a results-based business, and the Carlton Football Club over the last 20 years has been a complete mess. And to see them in the situation that they're in still to this day on the back of some real optimism and high expectations internally and externally at round 12, they're out of finals contention and they are conducting an external review of the place already and already one assistant coach has left. It's a mess. It's a complete mess. I've been saying it for five years and as much as the Carlton fans want to push back, I think I've been pretty justified on my criticism surrounding the Blues. Good on you, Jimbo, Michael, Roy, John, David and Mark all lining up to have their say. We'll get to all of you. I look forward to it on the after this. 25 minutes past 9 o'clock. The Ringers' Chris Ryan is going to join us. He's been described as the MVP of podcasts, rewatchables, the watch pod. He's on the NBA Ringer podcast and he's also on the Bill Simmons podcast. He's going to join us out of 10 o'clock Cannot wait. We've been chasing him hard. Ben Lyon, your superstar, for locking this interview in. Michael is in Preston. Ross Lyon, will he coach again, Michael? Well, Kane, I just find it really interesting Collingwood are actually interested in him. Wasn't the problem with him at St Kilda that he wouldn't play the young kids? Well, there was a, there's a couple of... Oh, I don't think the issue at St Kilda because... I mean, they were so competitive. So it's, it's like it's like being critical of the Cats. I mean, they had 10 players over 30 last night. But you're going to be critical of that because they're in contention there for the now. Whereas if you're Hawthorne and they're playing 10, 30-year-olds, you're going, what are you doing? You're not in contention. You've got to rebuild. So I'm not sure that criticism is warranted. I guess the criticism around Ross is his style of play. And with Collingwood being so dour this year and struggling to score, do the fans want that style of game plan again at Collingwood where it's really defensive and you know scoring isn't almost the number one priority that's the question the Pies fans would have to ask but I'm interested in your thoughts is Ross Lyon the man one 736 Ron wants to chat about the footy last night sorry Roy what'd you make of it Roy yes Kane how are you good mate yeah mate look this could be a question to your brother I'm a cat supporter mm -hmm. and before I sat down on the couch last night 
Connor Rosie had kicked four goals and got our back line all over the place. And next minute I see him, the, the, the uh, poor, poor power took him off the ground. I couldn't have been more happier. He kicked yeah, four goals. I know. And you know it, it's a bugbear of a lot of commentators. So just before he kicked the fourth, he was out of gas. He was, he was looking to come off the ground after he kicked the third. He was signalling to the bench. Now, as you know, it's not always easy to get on and off the ground. They couldn't get him off. He stays out there and kicks the fourth, took that mark sort of top of the goal square, 20 metres out. It was a lesson. Uh, leave them out there. You've got a player who's red hot. I don't care. Leave, put them in the goal square. They can get their rest down there. And you're right, he came off after the fourth and you didn't see him again until the second quarter. So the players need their rest, but always at the right time. Uh, John's in Mill Park. Uh, you want to chat about the Tigers? Uh, Johnny, good morning. Well, no, not necessarily, Kane. I want to when I really enjoy listening to you, but you're... Sometimes I think, um, and, and again, this is just an opinion of mine, mm-hmm. so it's not worth anything, but to you, your criticism of certain clubs and then you don't criticise other clubs based on your original criticism. I haven't heard you once talk about how fortunate Brisbane's been this year, and like, regardless of the pandemic, okay, um, that they basically have not moved away from the Gabba in the last six weeks, apart from travelling to Sydney, and last year they had the whole year there. Um, the other thing I want to talk to you about as well is... Um, uh, didn't, didn't, hang on, I, just on that, didn't they live out of a suitcase for two weeks to start this year? Oh, please, Kane. Well, well, did they or not? Richmond lived out of it for three months. Yeah, as did a lot of times. Uh, I, I did say, I yeah, did say yeah. last year Brisbane have missed the biggest and best opportunity of all time to win the Premiership. So this is, this is the problem. People only hear what they want to hear and they hear it with a lens on it. I said that repeatedly last year. Brisbane have missed a gold-clad opportunity. They will never get a better one to win a premiership. And I've said that on repeat last year, so I'm I'm not sure. I think Richmond fans in particular, I reckon Richmond are so sensitive, the supporters, that at times, like you, John, you you only necessarily hear what you want to hear. Um, And and that's a fact because I, I live and breathe it every Friday morning and I see the feedback coming through. Uh, we are smack bang hard up against the 9.30 news headlines. Good news in Victoria. So let's get the news headlines. Back to your calls after this. Should we be talking more about the Cats? Have we spoken about them enough this year? And are they, the team, timing their run perfectly towards perhaps going one step further this year with five games at GMHBA on the run home and some key players back. So impressed by what Geelong did last night. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 Dave wants to speak about the club that has dominated discussion this week. That is the Pies. Your thoughts, Dave? Who should coach them? Well, good morning, Kane. I don't know who should coach them, and this is just an observation. And as tragic as their circumstances have been this week, I think it's an opportunity for renewal and change. Now, Ross Lyon's name's been mentioned, and I don't want to pot him here, but statistically, I think Nathan Buckley and Ross Lyon have played and coached the longest stints without a premiership of anyone in history. So in some ways, I think you're just getting like for like. So it would appear to be to me, as an observer, it's a missed opportunity to rebuild something new and fresh. Something new and something fresh, or as uh, Dwayne said during the week, and, and I liked it, he said, look, they're, 
they're an F1 car. They need an F1 driver. Uh, maybe I didn't quite get the exact phrase, but is it an untried, fresh lens on things that Collingwood like a Sam Mitchell, or is it an F1 driver? Um, says Dwayne, I think I'm more in the the F1 driver camp. I think. I don't think they're as far away as what um, their form has shown this year. But, uh, Pies fans, there's going to be opinions left, right and centre on this one. Uh, what's your take on it and, and who should be the coach? I, um, I threw up during the week uh, Mark Williams for, for a couple of years with Sam Mitchell underneath him. It's, it's a combination that could work. And with Collingwood, with so many young players coming through and a mini sort of reset... He's the best that there has ever been, I think, in a coaching sense, developing young players. So Choco still renewed, still passionate, the impact he's had at Melbourne, but then the transition to Mitchell at the right time. Uh, perhaps something innovative like that. Mark is on the line. Alir, Alir, what did you make of his game last night, Mark? G'day, Kane. How you doing? Good, mate. Look, um, everybody's been... Uh, raving about what a fantastic recruit he's been this this season, but um, under pressure, Alir Alir is the turnover king. Have a look at have a look at what he does under pressure. Oh, it was look. I mean, I'm not a Geelong or a Port Adelaide supporter, mm. Tigers man, but um, I've got to say, I watched it last night, and if Alir Alir hadn't have coughed up the footy, I think it was four times, which resulted in goals directly in play from those passages, um, Port Adelaide possibly could have stole the game. Geelong kicked 11 goals from turnover and Aliyah's ball use was, was he was one of the main culprits last night. I think it's a, a reasonable observation. He's not, you know, players under pressure against good sides in finals-like atmospheres is what separates the best. And the best players, you know, they, they, they perform like it's any other game, but a few Port Adelaide players were, were found wanting in that space last night, and he was one of them. Mark, we'll see how he can respond from that. Pete's on the road. Are Geelong the real deal, Pete? Yeah, hey, Kane. Thanks for taking the call. Um, I'm, not a, I'm not a Geelong fan, um, to be honest, but I've seen them play. I've been fortunate to see them play probably five, six times this year, and have been very impressed. A couple of times, they the only thing they've lacked is that kind of intelligence that Richmond has. I'm not calling them dumb or anything. Just Richmond, um, if you compare kind of teams at the top, seem to be, I don't know, have this kind of smarts about them when they get in certain situations. But the last couple of weeks, last few weeks, especially last night, Geelong, I think, are getting there themselves. Um they're always their bats, and, then, and they don't fade away. That, that's the beautiful thing. No matter what's happening, they're always their bats, uh, similarly to great teams in the last 10, 15 years, Hawthorns, Richmond, etc. So really impressed. And the last point on uh, is on Jamara Hagen. I'm not a dog supporter, um, uh, but I've watched a kid on a couple of VFL games that have been, um, you know, been on TV. To be honest with me, with you, from my perspective, it just looks like a kid who really needs to grow up, you know, put muscle on, etc. He seems even lost in those games. So when mm. when I hear about why he's not playing in the first, I really from the t- from the games I've seen, um, I-, I can understand. He might have he might have been a gun in under seventeens, but at the moment it's, it just seems like a kid in a big man's world, to be honest. Um, I, I can understand it. Yeah, I can understand it too. I I completely understand why he's not playing. There's no criticism towards Luke Beveridge. I think he's 
handling it really well. And I think the biggest benefactor of it is going to be Jamara himself. And, you know, I think there, there is a little bit of growing up that needs to be done um, from you know, certain things, that the, the way that he's going about it. You don't just turn up at an AFL club and become a star. It takes so it takes an enormous amount of hard work and sacrifice and work rate. And he's just got to strengthen up those areas of games that are clearly a weakness. One of those is, is probably his aerobic capacity, reading between the lines, which not sure he's been able to and he's disrupted in, in, in uh, time into the draft and all of that and this year he's out with concussion I get that but he's got to work a little bit harder from the outside and I support the way that Luke Beveridge has been managing him. Thanks for your call Pete. Let's go to Andrew at the Pies, Andrew. Hey mate, how are you going? Good, thanks. I uh, just want to talk about the Pies and obviously the current coaching situation. Just out of the left field option, obviously where everyone's speaking about you know Clarko and uh, Ross Lyon, um, obviously potentially coaching. What about um, uh, Craig McRae or a uh, Blake Carousella? Well, that's the, the yeah. So that's so that's the Adam Uze in that in that mould. Adam Kingsley. So there's there's probably 15 of those guys in the mix that have done a significant apprenticeship. They've gone through all the level four or level five coaching um, programs that they need to do. Reportedly, Adam Uze is one of the most impressive to come out of that. Uh, big influence that he's had uh, at the D. So there's 15 of those guys, or do you go the tried and true? And from what we know from Collingwood and their history, it's tried and true. It's a big name, and I can't see that's going to change this time around. Let's go to Tassie and speak to Robert. Uh, what did you make of the power last night, Rob? Yeah, I think they were they were pretty average, Kane, and I, I think unless they get those two young fellas back, they're going nowhere. They've got, they've got too many average players, and uh, they want to hurry up and do it quickly because Boke and Robbie Gray have not got much time left. No, they don't. Um, Boke's probably got a couple more seasons, Robbie Gray perhaps one more. They, 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 what they have done, though, is invested in the draft. So you know, 12 first-round draft picks in the last five years sets them up really well so I'm not not too concerned but they're they're clearly one really good midfielder short and that's why they've been linked to Zach Merritt and that is what's missing at the moment and the absence of Zach Butters has certainly highlighted that Port Adelaide are where they deserve to be they're not hopeless as you described them Rob they're fifth they're, they're eight and four they beat the teams that they should beat and they lose to the best teams they're, they're smack bang where they deserve to be and even Ken Hinkley admitted that after the game. Uh, John's on the line. He wants to speak about the caller before that rang about Richmond. What's your view, John? Yeah, mate, I, I thought it was laughable. Would, so he, might have, he lost all credibility for the moment he said he was a Richmond supporter. Um, the fact that they're... Like, where does Brisbane have to play? 50% of their games at home and 50% mm. away. What Does he want us to be mm. playing our home games at the Gold Coast or uh, or does he want us to play in Sydney? Like, it's just simple math. You know, simple maths. We play 50% home, 50% away. And Richmond have a, a sook when they have to catch the train two stops down the road and play at the bloody Marvel Stadium. So I just thought it was a bit rich from his point. Yeah, so, so John, Richmond can argue a lot of things and they can put their flag in the ground about so many things. They cannot put their flag in the ground when it comes to anything in relation to the fixture. So the moment they do that, Credibility is gone. I, I'm happy to hear everything about what a brilliant team you are. I'll, I'll, I'll cop all of that. The moment you talk about the fixture and you try and justify it, you lose everything from me. Um, but that doesn't stop them 
from uh, from trying. It's 20 minutes to 10 o'clock. We'll get to Andrew, Matt, Sam, Jackie, Jack that is, and Martin on the other side of this. This is the captain's run with a big show coming up through until 12 o'clock. On SEN, the captain's run with Kane Corns. So we get the temper text on 0433981116. I also get the personal text coming through on my own phone. People in shock that we've got Chris Ryan on. I, I had a text from an unnamed person who works in the industry. He said, jealously almost, how did you get Chris Ryan? I said, well, myself and Benny have been working on this for weeks. And he said, not to overplay this, this is the biggest guest SEN has ever had. He's coming up after 10 o'clock, and I'm nervous. John's on the line. Uh, you want to chat about the Tigers, Johnny? Good morning. Uh, we've had Johnny. Might get him cleared off my screen then. Andrew is a uh, big yeah. Essendon man. He reckons the final eight is set. Andrew? Yeah. Yes, I do. Uh, I, unfortunately, I think Essendon will miss out, and, um, and I think it's just a man now who, you know, the, the uh, ladder order in, within that eight. And I think Geelong's really sitting pretty, aren't they, there, um, they're going to be there at the end. Um, and I think Port Adelaide, uh, um, look, I, I think you lacked a, a key. When you lost that key defender, um, I, I think that really cost you last night. Key, key forward, Todd, Mar- key uh, forward but, Todd Marshall. Marshall, sorry. Yeah, Marshall. Yep. And I saw, also think you got a, a, a lacking one key backman. Um, because I think your backman um, seemed a bit under par last night. Um, yeah, so that's that so one's that's, Tom. Tom Cleary's out with a broken jaw, so he'll be back in a couple of weeks. Been a been a very good player, so they're certainly missing uh, Tom Cleary, Fantasia, Butters, Dersma, and Lysett. So five of their best eighteen out of the side last night. But every team has injuries. Every team. I don't think any team has been unaffected by what has been a, a significant year in injuries. Perhaps Melbourne have been the team that haven't copped it as well as much as the others have done. Uh, Matt's in WA waking up to us early this morning. G'day to you, Matt. You also want to talk about Port. Yeah, g'day, Hot Cake. Um, Port Adelaide, mate, they had a lot of... Could have burned a lot of trust last hot night, but they just failed. Yeah, don't, don't the boys call you Hot Cake on Saturday morning? I, I think it's Hot Take. Oh, sorry, mate. <laughs> anyway. I'll, I'll, ta- I'll so, take either. <laughs> anyway... They had a lot of trust they could have earned from me last night, but they just failed, and they're just pretenders. They're not going past the semi-final, um, unfortunately for them, which is a bit sad because uh, I really enjoyed watching them last year and especially in that prelim final. And um, what, one thing I do like about Port Adelaide is the feral kid with the mullet. What's his name, Kane? Uh, that's Lockie Jones. Yeah, he's got a beautiful kick. Sort of reminds me a bit of myself. <laughs> what what sort of player were you, Matt? Uh, I spent a bit of time in the ruck and up forward, and I was just a beautiful left foot, mate. Dangerous. So who do you, who player. do you liken yourself to that plays AFL currently? Is it, I don't know. I can't think of too many left footed ruckmen. Um, oh, maybe a, maybe maybe, a Pete Laddams. Like oh, nah. I was I was an Aaron Norton sort with the okay. Left Right, there you go. Matt's and Aaron Norton sort in WA joining us this morning. Reckons Port Adelaide are pretenders. Sammy's on the line. Uh, who are the three coaching candidates at Collingwood, Sam? Go on, you're Kane. Get the three uh, people I would like to see uh, get the gig at Collingwood will be uh, Mark Williams, Sam Mitchell and Justin Lepich. 
All three uh, tasted premiership success. All three are rounded people, and I think they'll bring the quality of coaching to Collingwood that's needed. I fully agree with you in regards to Ross Lyon. Ross Lyon is a good coach, but he is a defensive coach. Uh, mm. And I, I just think those three, to me, would be standout candidates. Good on you, Sammy. Have your say on that. Those three candidates, Pies fans, would they fit the bill? Who Who is your shortlist? So... Yeah, you can tell me who you think should be coach. That's sometimes problematic if you're trying to get a contracted coach out, e.g. Alistair Clarkson. But who's your shortlist? Who will make the final three candidates? Would love your thoughts on that 0433981116. Jack, uh, the Ds are flying on top of the ladder. You want to chat about them? Yeah, g'day, Kane. How you going? I was going to call you Jack because you called me Jackie, but I'll let that one go. Oh, yeah. Sorry. That's okay, buddy. Uh, All good, buddy. First time caller, I, I, I just... I nearly drove off the road when you told me Geelong are contenders. Uh, let, let's hopefully if we're going well, the finals we played at the G, and then you'll be the first one to say too old, too slow. We touched mm-hmm. them up in 2018 without defenders. This time we've actually got a defence. No hope in hell. So just just making up numbers. That is all. Thank you. You're going, you're going back away. 2018, Jack. I didn't have didn't have Jeremy Cameron and some others. In that lineup, then, but but your point your point's valid. It's going to be done on the MCG. Um, I don't agree that that is that should be the case. If Geelong finish top two, let them play it wherever they want to play it. They qualify for a home final. They should be playing it there. And um, the example of that in 2017, when they did finish above Richmond, but the game was forced to be played at the MCG, I think is wrong. And it's the same as I've said all year about the Western Bulldogs. They finished top two. Let them play it at Marvel. That's where they play their best footy. They deserve it. They've qualified for it. But it's not going to be the case. We know that. Uh, Graham, you want to chat about Richmond quickly. Welcome, Graham. Yeah, hi, hi Kane. First of all, that previous call, I think he's uh, got rocks in his head. I mean, uh, just wait and see until Melbourne gets a couple of injuries and we'll see how good they are. But uh, I'd like to say that uh, I think Richmond's hard done by, uh, by the fixture Kane uh, just quietly. I mean, yeah, we get the, the away games played at the MCG, but you don't realise how difficult it is uh, playing away games at the MCG wearing white shorts. <laughs> that's, about, that's about the only problem, isn't it? Which colour shorts are we going to wear at the MCG for one of our 15 games for the year at the G? Uh, good on you, Graham. We'll get to Jacob, Joe, Mark and Sandy after this short breather. Three minutes to ten o'clock, coming up after ten, global podcasting superstar Chris Ryan's going to join us live from LA. Looking forward to that. Jacob is in Bondi. How have you seen the events at Carlton this week, Jacob? I'll tell you what, Kane, I've been fortunate, or I guess you could say unfortunate enough to be able to go to the last two games, given they've been in Sydney. Mm. And in the flesh, you really get a uh, you first hand taste of just how lacklustre and bad the team is, particularly from the leaders. There's just no on-field direction, communication, synergy or anything like that. Um, So it's quite disappointing. What I will say, I'm a big fan of your work, mate. The AFL media needs a contrarian. Some may refer to your methods as the old way. But I saw your tweet last night about uh, Connor Rosie and, mate, it was so obvious it was uh, sarcastic, but I think some of the nuffies in the AFL world need to realise this. But um, I will enjoy, and Beefy and I will enjoy watching Sam Walsh absolutely come to you for the next 15 years and prove your uh, opinions wrong. 
Well, I'm glad you picked up on it because I, after he kicked his fourth, I tweeted, has Sam Walsh ever kicked four in a quarter? Clearly, clearly mucking around and having a laugh. But the way that things are interpreted sometimes, um, a lot of people, a lot of people did understand it was uh, tongue-in-cheek, clearly, like yourself, uh, Jacob, but some people took it a li- little bit more uh, literally than what I intended to do. Thank you for your thoughts uh, there, Jacob. Let's go to Joe. Is Joe's in Adelaide. Tom Stewart's a gun, Joe. Uh, yeah, absolutely, Kane. Um, I uh, heard a month or so ago around Tom Stewart how he came to Geelong. Um, Matthew Scarlett went and watched a game down at Ocean Grove or Lawn or wherever it was down in one of those clubs and rang the club and said, you've got to see this bloke. Um, he would be one of the... He, he just he doesn't get talked about or anything like that, but every time you see him play, uh, it's incredible how he, he plays and he is one of the Jets of the AFL and I don't know what age he was recruited to Geelong, but... For the life of me, why clubs don't go and find more Tom Stewart down in those sort of uh, competitions has got me whacked. Yeah, it's, a, it's an excellent point. Um, I said the same on the call last night. The, the only time we talk about Tom Stewart enough is on All-Australian night when he gets another green or gold jacket, whatever colour they are. He's one of the most consistent guns in the game and we probably should talk about him more. So thank you for your call. Plenty coming up. Oh boy, in the next two hours. Three minutes past 10 o'clock, about a month ago, I hatched a plan. I consume my next guest content daily. I reckon if not daily, certainly every second day, I said to my producer, Ben, I wonder if we could throw a fishing line out there and try and get Chris Ryan on our show. And it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. He's been so generous to accept this. If you're not aware of who he is, he's the incredibly talented Chris Ryan. He's editorial director at the ringer he's a pop culture and sports podcasting superstar if you look at him on the internet they describe him as the mvp of podcasting you'll hear him on the watch pod the ringer nba show and my personal favorite the rewatchables he joins us from la this morning chris thank you so much for your time kane thank you so much for having me this is a real thrill i I just want to um it's hard to do this but i want to almost express my gratitude because i mean the last 18 months have been tough for a lot of people and people are looking for an escape Uh, and you and bill and sean you all provide that escape for millions of people across the world so firstly uh, my gratitude to that and i want to speak about i guess the the connection that you have with your co-hosts and those that you work with at the ringer can you take me through that and describe what makes it um really special yeah, well, I mean, thank you so much. It's been therapeutic for us as well. Uh, I'm glad that Bill mispronouncing actors' names has has soothed the world <laughs> worldwide audience of the of the podcast. Um, I've you know, it's funny that you should ask me that because this is just the um, 10 year anniversary of the launch of Grantland, which is the website that Bill launched at ESPN that I used to work for him at, and it was 2011. Um, and I actually was just looking at a couple of the pieces I wrote back then, which is just so wild to think of it being 10 years. But you know, I, I've known Bill for that 10 year stretch. I've been friends with Sean since the early 2000s. We knew each other in New York City growing up, uh, coming up writing about music. Uh, back then. And so it's really a friendship first. And then, you know, we started The Ringer and Bill had a TV show and it was sort of like the podcast thing was was definitely a, a, of, of interest to us. And Andy and I have been doing 
a version of the watch at Grantland. So we knew that we were going to do podcasts, but I don't think anybody anticipated podcasts becoming what they mm. what they've become over the last couple of years. And it's just become basically my entire job now to to, to appear on these things and to to work on them. And it's it's obviously you know it's it beats working for a living. How did you meet Bill? How did I meet Bill? So I um, was buddies with a guy named Chuck Klosterman, who's a, a writer here in the states. He's he's written uh, a bunch of really. Uh, adored critically acclaimed books and has a huge fan base and chuck and bill were working on grantland which was this espn site that was supposed to be this like funky weird version of sports journalism the espn was underwriting and chuck said that bill needed a, a soccer writer and i had written about soccer but i was definitely like i think bluffing a little bit about how much i knew about soccer or how how sort of qualified i was to do this but i met bill at a 30 for 30 screening party in new york city for for 10 or 15 minutes and then it kind of went from there and then i moved out to los angeles in 2012 to work at grantland and take on a bigger role at the company and just i've just been with them ever since your knowledge of all things is what strikes me like you're an expert on movies we'll get to that because a lot of us listen to the the rewatchables which is revolutionary but also your knowledge of sports so, so what is your background and I guess, how do you know as much as you know? Do you ever sleep at night? <laughs> well, I like to think of myself as like, I've just sort of figured out a way to professionalize what a lot of people would like like to do or just, they. everybody's a fan of movies and a fan of sports. And I just got lucky that there was a moment in sports media or in media in general where like that kind of thing sort of became a job. Um, I my background is like I'm from Philadelphia, so a lot of the Philadelphia sports teams raised me. In you know, I came of age at a time when the NBA was kind of the like the like I don't know. I, I wouldn't want to say like the stepbrother of professional sports, but it was like a mm. weird time, and it was like right when Allen Iverson. I don't know how big he was in Australia, but Allen Iverson was kind of the my my icon growing up, and he really changed the perception of the NBA in the states. and And it was a really fun thing to kind of come of age about because it was also like hip hop was exploding uh, in the mainstream culture. So there was this collision of a bunch of the things that I was interested in. Uh, and everybody wanted to talk about those things. And as the years went by, I think that my generation of of sports fans kind of came into sports media and said, you know what, I also, the way I think about sports is the same way I think about movies. And it's the same way I think about music. And I, I, I talk about my favorite actors the way I would talk about my favorite point guards. And, and you just kind of, we just sort of found a place to do all that stuff at the same time. Yeah, so we have the culture in Australia of sitting sitting at the bar and, and talking sports or you know, turning up to work and, and talking sports. You, you've made essentially a living out of doing that and, and the culture of sports where, where you live and in America is just, it's like a religion. Is that the feel that you wanted from the ringer? As if you're sitting around with a group of mates sharing a beer talking about yeah, sports that was, and movies. that was always Bill's line on the place was that he wanted it to feel like the the, the conversation you were having at the bar come to life, you know, and that it was your smartest friend at the bar who seemed to have a couple more statistics in his back pocket or seemed to have like a couple of more facts in his back pocket. But for the most part, it would be like talking to a friend about about whatever it was, whether it was hockey or whether it was, you know, Breaking Bad and, and Mad Men. Mm. So we're, we're, we're live on radio now, but we also you know, podcast everything that we do and, and all that. And I guess our goal is to get the audience wherever they are, whether it's on a podcast, whether it's live on the radio, in your car, whether it's you know, video content on Twitter, which is, is what essentially is, is, I'm assuming, the business model at The Ringer. Uh, 
How has podcasting changed sports media in America? Well, there's a lot of it. You know, I mean, there's a lot more pods than there were like today than there were three years ago. Even this is like I would I venture to say probably two to three to four times more. You know, there's this weird competition. I mean, I I, I love going on radio, and it, it I, I don't think it's a competition between radio and pods, but I do find it fascinating how pods are starting to mirror radio more. I mean, here in the states, we're doing more and more stuff that's closer and closer to the action that we're talking about. So ordinarily, when I first started out. If something happened on a Sunday night, it wasn't that strange to talk about it on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Mm. And now the expectation is, is that you will be talking about it on Sunday night after it happened. If there's an amazing basketball game, if something incredible happens on a TV show on a Sunday night, you're expected to kind of be there for it because that's when people really want to do it. I think a lot of that has been driven by social media and just the fact that people go and gather and start to chat about the finale of Mayor of Easttown or a Nuggets Suns game. They want to talk about that right now. They don't want to wait until Wednesday. So I, I, it's kind of created a more of a live reactive feel to a lot of the podcasts. And then on the other end, you sort of have serial and a lot of the pods that are more narrative and produced and take a long time to kind of come together, but can often have really deep rewards. And the ability now to attract the celebrity, like the, the genuine A-list celebrity, like, I don't know, seven days ago, yourself and Andy on the watch have got Kate Winslet on speaking about I'm still the not finale. convinced of, that, I, that I still feel like I might be in the Matrix. For that that happened. Sure that actually happened. No, it, it definitely happened. Like, I mean, that, that just just wouldn't have happened. And so she's given you half an hour of your time. She reveals that she's actually a fan. She's been listening along. She's really enjoyed uh, yourself and Andy's coverage of of Mayor, which has, you know, captivated everyone here in Australia as well. Like, how does that eventuate? How do you get her on? Well, Kate, I'll tell you something. You know, you were talking about how the way the last year has changed things. When around like April or May, and, and you know, we kind of were starting to get our bearings of like, okay, we're going to be doing this over Zoom and everybody's going to be working from home. I started getting emails from the networks here, the TV networks and publicists for people. And they're like, hey, by the way, this person's around if you want to talk. Because everybody was home. So mm. all of a sudden, these people who you would usually have to jump through a lot of hoops for, they might have five minutes as part of a junket, or you know, you, you would have to sort of wait and turn, like, and maybe you'd get picked out of 50 shows or 100 shows that this person would give you 20 minutes. All of a sudden, they were just sitting around at home. And they were kind of open to talk. And so Zoom really changed that a lot. There, you know, there's no way that Kate Winslet would have done our show if it involved her being in L.A., coming to the office, being, you know, having everything there, like, just right. But she was able to just call in from wherever she was pretty simply. They're like, not, not like, you know, like what we're able to do right now. So I think it's one of those things that I don't think we'll ever really fully go back to the way it was before. Because this, this part of it, I love being in the studio doing the shows together live but when it comes to that kind of thing people are just so much more available if all you have to do is send them a zoom invite you mentioned oh, she spent 37 minutes or something with you on air you, you mentioned that she was great off air as well and she had a laugh yeah. i mean i think you've described her as the best actor in the last 25 30 years what was she like in person off air great hang yeah she's great she was just like I mean, just cracked us up immediately. Like she said that she's probably, you know, she saw it was funny because everybody associates her with these period pieces where she's, you know, in these Jane Austen adaptations. But she said that she's m more like Mare than any of the characters mm. that she usually plays. And you could kind of see that. Like she, mm. she had a dirty mouth and she was just like really, really a, like a ton of fun and was really, um, was so, so nice of her to, to come on the show twice. 
So the rewatchables is is the absolute sweet spot for for a lot of us. I'm I'm 38. <laughs> I was born in 83. I feel like the movies that you cover are the movies that I loved and were so influential in my childhood. How was the idea to make a podcast discuss, discussing movies that are rewatchable? Born. It mostly came out of me and Bill quoting Heat to each other all the time. And can you give us a bit as well? For, can you give us a few? I mean, I mean, we're, we're live, and she's got a great art. <laughs> Great ass is a good one. I didn't you know doing, that would fly. Can, can you give us that? I Come had on. coffee with Macaulay a half an hour ago. Like that? Yeah. But me and Bill would do that to each other in the middle of meetings. And it's really funny. One of the, my coworkers, Mallory, she just watched Heat for the first time. And she sent me a text to say that she now finds me three times funnier because now she gets like all the references that I've been making for the last few years. But we, you know, we just kept saying these lines to each other and talking about how much we had watched it. And I think in the, in, in also at, in parallel, Bill had been thinking about doing something about his favorite sports movies. Cause when we launched the rewatchables, we also started the sports rewatchables, but we just kept saying it, kept saying it. And then one day he was like, why don't you just come on my pod and we'll talk about heat. And we did that before we had like the categories and rewatchables, and I think we had like the format down. But we obviously there was obviously like this huge response to it, and there are other great heat podcasts. I mean, it really has become a thing where if you love a movie, you can pretty much start your own podcast about it and 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 find stuff to talk about every week if you want. And then it kind of just it just snowballed from there. You know, we we've done lots of different kinds of movies, but you're right. You know, we just did Raiders. Um, mm. We did Goodfellas. Those were kind of like we wanted to save a couple for when we were able to be back in a studio together um, and kind of play off of one another rather than, you know, when you're doing it on Zoom, you sort of you talk and then you wait and the other person talks. But um, yeah, like those those movies are really the ones that we grew up with because they were either always on cable or we had them on VHS or DVD and they were just kind of always on. And those are the ones people seem to really respond to. Take me through Goodfellas because, I mean, th- th- that was a monumental <laughs> one. You, you, you're all vaccinated now, so you've gone to the studio over 18 months, I guess. You've been doing it over Zoom and, and you could feel the energy in the room. I think you went out after for dinner. I think that was mentioned. What what yeah. was it like to be back together? It was great. I, you know, I've seen Sean a couple of times, but I hadn't been in a enclosed room with with Bill in a very long time and we had a lot of pent up energy we've been talking about doing Goodfellas for such a long time I think the only one that he's teased more is Boogie Nights um, <laughs> but you know when I watched Goodfellas when you when you actually sit down to rewatch one of these things to, to do the pod sometimes it's something that I've seen a couple of months ago like on the off chance but usually it's like it's been a year or two and Goodfellas I was like oh I, I know every line of this movie like mm. I, if I thought I had forgotten any of it it just came rushing back and those are the ones that are really fun to do because that's when you get really, really lost in these minor details of the movie rather than like the big scenes that everybody already knows. But yeah, it was great. You know, I mean, it was great to see everybody. Our, our, our producer Craig was there. Uh, our, our buddy Corey was there shooting us. So it was, it was, it was awesome. Yeah, my, my personal favorite, Die Hard, was unbelievable. Loved Back to the Future, Heat, of course, and Departed. Check it out, Rewatchables pod. You, you will not regret it. Hey, I'm conscious of your time, so but I just do want to talk about sport because I know yeah, let's do it. Uh, that's the other passion. I'm taking you away from the Nets and the Bucks, the, the playing in the playoffs at the moment, so I, I do appreciate it. Uh, what's the, the landscape in the NBA I'm interested in, and the Nets in particular, where they're just creating these super teams? Is it good for the game or not? What's your view? 
Well, I think it's bad for people like me who cheer for the Sixers uh, for mm. Philadelphia who are we're or maybe facing down some realities right now about what's been created in the Eastern Conference. Look, it's it, it's actually this is this is not new. You know, I mean, this is pretty much what Durant and the Warriors did several years ago and and you know, uh after after the LeBron championship, they put together a super team that I think would be, still be winning championships today if Durant had stayed in Golden State. Um I appreciate what Brooklyn does. I really don't have like any kind of like personal political issue like within the nba stuff of them doing what they Mm. did i do think it sucks that you know harden had a contract with the rockets for several years and i i he essentially got to have free agency early like you could make the argument that it should be closer to like european soccer and i I don't know what the rules are for for australia where if Mm. it's you can essentially agitate for a transfer anyway and and if pogba wants to play for psg he can but for us, it's. I think it's like we're still getting used to that idea that a guy with a several years left on his deal might just say, you know what, I want to go play with my buddies in Brooklyn and we're going to create a super team and there's really nothing anybody can do about it. What, what's your viewpoint from, from over there? Like, Do you think that it seems that it's, it, it, it saps the competition of the league? Well, 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 I do. I, I feel like that it's just impossible to compete. I mean, because they get paid so much money, I, I guess that the salary cap now becomes not a, not as relevant, and the prospect of just going and creating a team, almost like a video game, isn't it? Where you can just you know chuck yeah. on NBA 2K and create your own team. I, I get that that's enticing for those fans, but the loyalty of sport. I love and look we have player movement in our big game over here which is Australian rules football I'll just we'll get your view on that in a second whether you've seen any of it but it's just not as prevalent as it is and and we don't have the mature attitude towards players leaving as what uh, you guys do over there can I pick you up on Philly um Ben yeah. Simmons is an Aussie he seems to yeah. polarize uh polarize the NBA landscape uh, some people don't rate what he does, but from the outside, he, he seems like a you know a top twenty superstar. Well, what's your view on Ben Simmons and what he's done? So I'm a huge fan. I might be in a little bit of a minority for Philadelphians. I think that Embiid is really like the sort of avatar of that team and is is definitely like the main force of that team. I think the problem people have with Ben is that his reputation or the perception of him coming into the league was that he might be the next LeBron, that he might be this gifted, enormous playmaker. And you figure like the shot will come with with a couple of years uh, as it did for LeBron, and it just hasn't. And in fact, has almost sort of gone the other way. Where now I think he only shot three times. He only took three shots in a playoff game in the second mm. game against Atlanta. That being said, he essentially threw the cuffs on Trey Young and did like this incredible defensive job and has been amazing on defense all year and can still pass with his eyes closed and is just this. I think really unique talent. It's just what people expect. It's not what people expected. And I think when you do get into these playoff situations where it's almost required now, if you look at the nets, that everybody be able to shoot and everybody be able to create for themselves. When, when Simmons is so limited offensively in that way, it kind of becomes more glaring in the playoffs. Well said. Uh, We'll see how they go for the rest of the playoffs. Um, I, I can't not, I can't interview and not ask you about Bill Simmons and the genius that is Bill Simmons. Um, the influence he's had over you and, and I guess by extension the landscape and the multi-million dollar business that is The Ringer that is now um, owned by Spotify. Um, Bill Simmons, what makes him great? Well, um, I'll say this. Bill's incredibly 
on a personal level, Bill's just like incredibly loyal. Like I, I, and and Bill has just been, you know, a huge, huge figure in my life. He changed my life um, ten years ago, and you know, he continues to change it by having me on like the podcast that that he does. But uh, in another way, I mean, you people ask me like what Bill's like a lot, and. Um, I, I would say you already know, you know, like the one thing mm. I really love about Bill is that Bill is pretty much Bill like on microphone and off and he's funny and he's thoughtful and he can be frustrating, I'm sure, for some people who don't like Boston <laughs> sports. But um, he really is uh, such a unique brain in the way he thinks about the world, the way he thinks about sports, the way he thinks about culture. And I remember I was working in a record store on St. Mark's Place in New York City in the early 2000s, and he was writing his column for ESPN, and I would read it. It was like the yellow background from ESPN's uh, page two. And I would read his columns, and I would just be like, this is so weird. This is exactly what I've always been looking for. You know, when you're reading sports writing and you're thinking about, like, what would you really want to read about? Like, you, you, you want to read about the sports the way Bill wrote about him. And he had mm. such a huge influence over the way people write about sports now. Um, but yeah, he's just a, an amazing guy. Um, and I think he just really, he has a really good eye for talent. And I think he has a really good feel for how to structure things. Like he's, I never really probably would have come across the idea of like, the rewatchables should be 20 minutes of us chatting and then it should be all these different categories that we, we, we fill, through, fill out. And he's just really good at that kind of like giving things shape. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been a, a, a dream to work with him. What's next for the ringer? Uh, I mean, hopefully getting back in the office. You know, yeah. I can't wait to see these guys. It would be, it would be really cool to get back to what it was uh, the first few years that we were around because that was really like a blast. Is being in LA. We work off of um, an old Hollywood soundstage, like a studio lot in in Hollywood, um, and they shoot like they they used to shoot Scandal there. They shoot TV shows there. So you'll be like walking around trying to get into your office, and all of a sudden they'll be driving by with a huge set for a TV show. Um, but I really would like to get back into the office and um, get back to making pods with people in person. I mean, Zoom's cool and everything, but I would love to come visit you guys one day. Oh, amazing. The invitation's there. Hey, Chris, before I let you go, have you, have you seen any Australian rules football? Not rugby, Australian rules football. Kane, only your highlights. You know, right. I was, I, I was trying to thoughts? do some research. I mean, it looks amazing. It looks incredible. <laughs> I got it. Maybe we got to start a, a rules football pod. This, it seems like, <laughs> is there a lot of like... I mean, is there, is there like a lot of media around Australian rules football? Do you guys have like a, a Skip Bayless of Australian rules football? Well, some may say that's me. I, 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 don't, oh. I don't know. I hope, I hope, I hope not. But uh, so, the, the view <laughs> to go against the grain is is what you what you're looking for. But I mean, a lot of us base um, sort of look up to you know Colin Cowherd and, and Skip yeah. Bayless to a lesser extent. To, um, to you know, to the likes of Mina Kimes, who's doing great things on on ESPN. Oh, she's a regular yeah. on the on the Bill Simmons podcast. Um, Stephen A. Smith and these got we we and and you like we all look up to you. So the influence that you have is is far and wide, mate. I I can't thank you enough. It's been a long time coming that I floated the idea of perhaps getting you on. I, I honestly feel like you're a mate of mine because I, as I said, I consume your content so often. It, it, you've delivered everything I, I thought you would, and I really appreciate it. As does our audience. 
It was an absolute pleasure. Please have me back on again if you guys ever want. I would love it. Oh, that, that, we will definitely do that. Uh, Chris Ryan, our guest this morning. You can look him up on Twitter at Chris Ryan seventy seventies, the editorial director at the Ringer, and and check out the podcast uh, if you haven't done so already. Which I think you'd be in the minority. The Watch Pod, the Rewatchables, Ringer NBA Show. Uh, it's 25 minutes past 10 o'clock. I'm just going to dust myself off and compose myself live from L.A. in his home studio, The Ringers, Chris Ryan, on SEN this morning. Smack bang on at 10.30. Uh, really appreciate the reaction on the temper text, 0433 it Honestly, it's not often you get someone like that, and it, uh, I guess the technology now allows it to do. Um, Chris Ryan, I'm referring to, will post a link on our social media uh, SEN's Captain's Run that you can listen back if you've missed it, but um, the text coming through, uh, strong, just what an absolute genius Chris Ryan is, and I'm still a little bit starstruck by that. We'll get back on track. We've got a big one coming up. We'll wrap up last night's game as well and put a full stop to that uh, with my brother, who is assistant coach at Port Adelaide Hills Boundary Side last night, and we will continue to take your calls. Also, after 11 o'clock, Another remarkable story is that of uh, Melbourne Marathon runner Sinead Diver, mum of two, 40-odd years of age, heading to her first Olympic Games. She's an Irish woman, but um, she's running for Australia. It's a fascinating story. Peter's in Ringwood. Um, Geelong and Melbourne, are they one and two in the premiership race, Pete? I think there's a pretty good chance. I just wanted to comment on the fact that when Melbourne played Geelong, I was at the game, and I didn't really like the way Geelong played. But people have to remember that when we played them, we had no Cameron, we had no Rowan, and we had no Dangerfield playing. So put those three in with Tommy Hawkins against the Melbourne defence, and let's see how well they go against them. Well, we're going to find out, because they're going to meet at some stage. Uh, There's no doubt about it that Melbourne and Geelong will meet at some stage. Um... Perhaps in the grand final, we'll wait and see. But um, once again, off the top of the program, for those just tuning into us this morning at 32 minutes past 10 o'clock, I could not have been any more impressed with Geelong and the way that they just seem to time their run. They, they've timed it beautifully. It's about playing your best footy at the right time and it feels as though the momentum is building for Geelong to do that. Cameron Hawkins, Rowan, and when Dangerfield's down there... So the question is, is there a better forward mix in the comp? And I was having a think about this during the call last night. So I look at West Coast, uh, when you look at Kennedy, Darling, Oscar Allen and Liam Ryan with a, with a couple of really good smalls and Crips and Petrocelli around them, but they're not often there together. I mean, Oscar Allen's played back, hasn't he? How does Geelong's forward line compare to the best in the comp? I think it's the equal, if not the best, of any forward line mix in the competition. Uh, also, Tom Morris uh, wrote the report about the contract merry-go-round that's going to really heat up, you know, certainly towards the back half of this year and into next year with eight coaches coming out of contract at the end of 2022. Um, might rank them from who can sleep soundest at night uh, in terms of the security that they've got and, and who is a little bit under pressure. And it's, it's a bit of an uneasy topic to talk about, but we've coaching positions potentially vacant, certainly one, perhaps two, um, there could be some significant movement for the first time in over 18 months. I mean, no one, no coaching job changed hands at the end of last year, and it's really a topic that um, is certainly worthy talking about this morning. So the the eight that are out of contract at the end of next year, David Teague, Stuart Jew, Brett Ratton, Matthew Nix, 
Justin Longmuir, Simon Goodwin, Chris Scott, and the big one, Alistair Clarkson. We're taking your calls right through until 12 o'clock. Don't forget to listen to This Is Your Sporting Life. That's Sunday from 10 a.m. Uh, Sammy Edmund talks about the 2000 Olympic gold medal winning beach volleyball team. Natalie Cook was part of that, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Um, we'll talk about some footy next. An emphatic victory from Geelong. Great game of footy. Thursday night footy's back, not without time. Uh, Chad Corns was there. He saw it live. He's a Port Adelaide assistant coach. He's my brother, and we'll get him on next. As we've spoken about all morning, Port Adelaide weren't by any means disgraced last night. They um, gave a fierce contest and a fierce effort, but in the end, they weren't good enough to tell us about it was the man who stood on the boundary line and witnessed it. One of their assistant coaches is Chad Corns. Chad, good morning. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me again. Uh, the emotions as you're rolling out of bed, uh, what's the feeling in and amongst the, the coaching staff and the group post-match? Oh, it all wrapped up pretty quickly after the game. I got out of there um, quite quickly, so I didn't actually sit in the, the final team meeting after the game, but obviously the boys were, were really flat. I, I thought it was a, a great game of footy mm. for, for a, from a spectacle point of view, but that that first quarter, some of the goals that were kicked in that quarter were just amazing. So I thought we played some good footy. Um, didn't do enough, obviously, in the end to, to beat them. I think watching from where I did and without having watched the game back yet, it just looked like their, their aerial dominance really got the better of us. And, and then they're just a, a little bit more effective going forward. I thought we were quite wasteful with the ball at stages going inside 50. Um, yeah, their hiding defence was something we really struggled to, to combat. So, um, not disgrace, but, yeah, again, frustrated that we can't beat one of those top teams. So, on the turnover, Geelong were amazing. They kicked 11 goals. Was that because of them or because Port Adelaide were vulnerable with the footy? Yeah, well, they set up really well behind the ball. They got numbers back and they got numbers back quickly. So, when we didn't use our available numbers and sometimes just bombed it, too long to Charlie on occasions or to just to anyone deep inside 50, they really did punish you. And because they were you know, working with a very open forward line because of their numbers behind the ball, it's something we couldn't quite quite stop. Um, I'm not sure if you remember, the, we had a really nice build-up to play just before half-time where we hit some nice little lead-ups, changed the angles a bit, and we got to Carl, Carl Amon just outside 50. And for some reason, Carlos turned and just blazed a bit. And they you know, turn over kick, and out they go on the on the weak side and, and punish you there. So it was deflating moments like that with the ball that cost us as long uh, as well as the, the aerial dominance, where I thought were the two keys for the game. Yeah, he kicked it to Tom Stewart as if he was the forward. He probably should have had a ping. I would have thought from fifty, Carl. But that that was almost the story of the night. I guess your structure was hurt um, really early in the game. You're going with three tall forwards, forward of the ball. Todd Marshall goes off with concussion. Boyd Woodcock isn't the ideal sub, and they end up taking 18 intercept marks. How much did that affect your structure, yeah. do you think? Well, it really did, especially against a team like Geelong. I don't know if there's a... <laughs> sounds pretty basic, but if there's a taller team out there, I'm not sure who it is. So to lose one of our tools, so he has... You know, you know he totally gets a bit of flack, and that's what he's been building you know, pretty nicely. One thing Todd does, though, he does get the ball to ground and gives the smalls a look at it after that. So, you know, to lose a, a player of his size, this hurt. I thought Charlie, like, really, really battled hard all night, whether it was forward, 
but it was in the ruck. Uh, I thought he did a tremendous job trying to, you know, lift once Toddy went off, but yeah, it probably wasn't the light-for-light light replacement we needed at that stage of the game. How has Charlie been this year? Great form last night, but even last night he gave away two 50-metre penalties. Clearly he does get frustrated. He's angry. Uh, he's angry pre-game. I actually said, I said, you're angry tonight. I really like it when you like this pre-game. And he grunted <laughs> something at me. And then, um, yes, some, some things that went his way and things that didn't go his way throughout the night made him even angrier. But I think, like I said, I think it's when it's at his best, when he plays with that passion. And you can see those couple of goals he kicked at the start of the last, just you know, the emotion after those goals and the way the boys get around him. Yeah, when a big man's up and about, he does bring a lot of others with him. So I was really happy for, for him just in his personal performance. How hard has he been working on his game? I mean, I feel like we ask you this question every time we get him on, but am I right in saying he's also changed his goal-kicking t- goal um, technique? He, he seems to really deliberately go about um, structuring himself up and lining himself up prior to kicking it. How much work is he doing on his game? No, that routine's been a thing Charlie's done since the gold coast days. It might have tinkered a little bit, um, over time, you know, week for week, when you have a, a bad one, you, you change it up slightly going forward. But he did a fair bit of work with the great man, Benny Perkins, at the Gold Coast um, with the technique he's got right now. It's just when he kicks it with authority, as Benny, as Benny Perkins would say, um, and keeps his head down and, and doesn't lean back. Sometimes when he leans back on the ball, that's where some of Charlie's issues with his goal kicking, um, where, where they arise. But... Yeah, there were some close ones that just went in last night, but um, yeah, they were really important goals that he did kick. Yeah, so we also have spoken a lot about Connor Rosie. I mean, his ability to flip the switch in that first quarter. We've been, you know, we know he's capable of it. It's the second time in his young career that he's kicked five goals in a match, four goals in a quarter. It's as good a, a patch of footy as I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I was, I was happy for you too. He came oh, last night. He was I, need, I needed that. <laughs> I needed it. Um, Connor is, you know, I've even been a little, I think last interview I did with you guys, I was, I was a little critical of, of Connor. And it's just because you know how good he can be. Um, it seems like a really basic message, but Vossi and Kenny caught up with him during the week and amongst other things, it was just keep your feet, don't go to ground because you're quicker than everyone else, you're more elusive than anyone else. So he was putting himself out of the play a little bit, going to ground a bit too often. And you saw... If the ball's put out in front of him, there's not too many that can stop him. And some of those finishes were were brilliant. And you know, the boys' reaction after some of those goals um, just shows how much they were happy for Connor and, and his return to form. So now it's just about doing that. You don't have to kick five goals every week, but doing, building into that kind of form consistently in the back up of the year. Um, we mentioned the Geelong, how strong they were behind the ball, but at, at times it looked like he just played into their hands. And uh, I'm sure the players will watch the review whenever you sit down and do that and go, what, what was I thinking kicking the ball straight to Blixarves or other examples yeah. like Stuart that you mentioned? Uh, is that just an inexperienced group? Is it something that in the heat of the moment got the better of them? Because I don't think you've moved the ball as poorly as that at times this year. Against a good side, it must be said. Yeah, so there are some pretty clear instructions, or as clear as they can be in the heat of the battle when either I'm running them out there or at quarter time, that when Toddy went down, that we didn't want to be blazing away inside 50, or once we get the ball in front of centre, we wanted to kick the ball to grass, get it out in space so the smalls can sort of run onto it. 
we saw in the back half of the first quarter that that really worked for us. Um, but you know what it's like. When Geelong put a lot of pressure on you when you do have the ball, you know, there's some, some younger players in the team that maybe just didn't have the composure that was needed and sometimes blazed away and kicked it exactly where we didn't want to kick it. And I think there was some, for about five minutes, it might have been in the end of the third quarter, we were just kicking it you know, long down the line to Charlie, TV1, outmarked and, and back they go. So it's something we're always working on, our forward effectiveness, but yeah, too many times last night we weren't good enough. Mate, how is Todd Marshall today? And um, did I hear last night that the, he checked in the hospital to get a, a bit of a checkup? Oh, I've read a medical report this morning. They're just he's getting a scan just to rule out any fractures or anything like that. Spoke to him at quarter time. He was like he wasn't completely out of it. He just said one side of his face felt like there's a, just a little bit of pressure in it, but he seemed like he was walking around and, and still attentive. So. Hopefully those scans come back all clear today. Do they think it was caused by the whiplash action or the contact with, um, it wasn't Stewart, it was uh, Henderson's shoulder? Yeah, was it his shoulder or the whiplash action, do they think? Yeah, I'm not sure. I was trying to look at it just as I was on the bench. I wasn't sure. if I don't think Henderson went in with the intent to actually even block Toddy. I think it was just an unfortunate accident. From where I was sort of sitting, I'm not sure if he just accidentally hit the elbow into into Toddy's cheek or if it was the whiplash. I haven't seen it closely yet, but we'll have a look at that today. So what happens now? Um, you know, are you, are you in quarantine until Monday? Is that what, what are the restrictions placed on the players? Yeah, we're, uh, we're locked at home until or we can go to the club, let's go to the club Sunday morning to get tested. And I think we wait for those tests that should come back Sunday afternoon. And as long as everyone from Geelong is negative and the umpires are negative and we're negative, we could get back into it Monday. But, yeah, for those that are involved in the Magpies game, usually, uh, Maggie's played tomorrow, uh, we can't go to that. So it's a little different. Yeah, it's a, it's a full lockdown um, for the next couple of days. So, yeah, it's just the way of the new world. Do appreciate your time, as the Port fans do. Once again, this morning on what was a really hard-fought, tough night for the club, um, and good luck for the rest of the year. Some winnable games coming up, and hopefully consolidate inside that top four. Appreciate it. Speak soon. Good luck. Thanks, guys. Oh, it's been a big couple of hours. Highlighted, not that Chad wasn't a highlight, but highlighted to me, uh, Chris Ryan from the Ringer uh, podcasting superstar. If you've missed that, and if you're interested in anything sports pop culture, uh, Ben Simmons, and perhaps who's the Skip Bayless of the AFL media, cough, cough, go back and listen on social media. I think it is well worth your time. Uh, Brock's been uh, waiting on the line. He wants to chat about a disappointing team this year. No doubt about that. No hiding from that. That is the St Kilda Footy Club. Uh, Brock, I always appreciate your thoughts. How are you feeling this morning? Mate, disappointing is an understatement. It's we're, in the last six weeks, we've only beaten a rabble Gold Coast and a rabble North Melbourne side and only just beaten both of them. We're, our key players just aren't playing well. We're boarding recruits that aren't doing what they're meant to be doing. Jack Higgins, come on, mate. One goal, six. We didn't bring you in to do that. And if we lose this week to the Crows, Brett Ratton's got to be gone Monday. He's got to be, his, his head's just got to be chopped because it's not good enough. We can't keep accepting it. 
Uh, does Brit does Brett Ratton's head need to be chopped? No, I, I, I think that's unfair. Um, you know, I think I think if we've learnt anything from the last couple of years, or no, longer than that, last six or seven years, there's nothing wrong with backing in a coach who who clearly can coach and and knows what he's doing. And you know, I, I remember all the talk about Ken Hinckley and. Port fans fed up with Ken Hinckley two years ago, finals record poor, haven't played enough finals, all of that. He gets them to a kick away from a grand final last year. Yeah, granted, the criticism can still be there because they didn't win. We go back to Hardwick, 2016, and even even the the Richmond fans who you know love Damien Hardwick, survey them at the end of round 2016 when you lose by over 120 in round 23. 85%, I reckon, would say, yeah, Damien Hardwick, time's up. Simon Goodwin, another example of that. Nothing wrong with a club backing in your coach if you believe he's the right guy and you can change things up, and I, I understand all of that. But I don't think Brett Ratton's head is on the chopping block. Yeah, there's pressure, but there's always pressure on teams that underperformed, and, and there is no escaping that. But what I would be doing, I'd be backing in Brett Ratton and the, the, the pretty solid team around him to turn things around. And it starts this week against Adelaide. It's just, just a game that they must win to keep the Wolves away from the door. I, I am interested in your thoughts, though, on that. And I just think sometimes we can jump a little bit too quickly. And I was of the view, the same view at Collingwood, with Nathan Buckley, mind you. Now, they've gone a different path. That is fine. Uh, no worries. Hey, we'll quickly sneak in, Darren. Darren, you got got uh, 50 seconds. You enjoyed the interview with Chris Ryan. Kane, how are you, mate? I'm 50 years old. I had no idea who you were talking about. I've never heard his podcast <laughs> ever. But what I did love is the way you interviewed him. You were humbled, and for a bloke who's carving it out in the media, it sounded like you were talking to a bloke that you could learn from and wanted to learn from. And just your humility was just really it was quite heartwarming. So well done, mate. I appreciate that. It's nice to hear some kind words, and I, I do really appreciate it. And a, a lot of texts coming through that did uh, listen on the on the temper text, and I, I appreciate that. I mean, at the end of the day, it's sports, it's entertainment, and those guys at the ringer are someone who I know Hutchie and, and all of us here, and a, a lot of the, the talent on SEN, Bob Murphy's a big fan, look up to and and can learn from. We can also learn from Sinead Diver. She'll join us next. Going, we'll also do Chad's brother's quiz. Before we leave, as always, with a great prize to give away. One of my favourite Aussie athletes um, is our next guest. And speaking of a little bit, I don't know, a, a little bit emotional. Well, not emotional is probably not the right word, but moving um, interview that uh, our next guest did with Hamish McLaughlin in the Sunday Herald Sun of last Sunday's paper, Double Page. I hope you got the opportunity to read it. If you didn't, it is online. Australian marathon runner Sinead Diver has punched her ticket to Tokyo, not without a whole heap of challenges and hard work. She's been good enough to join us again. We've had her on before. Sinead, uh, thanks so much for your time again. Hey, Conzie, how are you? I'm, I'm, I'm great. Um, it's, been a, it's been a big morning, Sinead. No doubt you've just um, taken the runners off from a morning session. What was on the menu this morning? Yeah, we have we do our marathon sessions on Friday. Um, a bit of a down week this week because we were supposed to race in Launceston. Um, there's a 10k there. Unfortunately, we can't get to it because of the restrictions in Melbourne. Mm. But I had a, a 15k or a 45 minute progressive run this morning. We actually got lucky with the weather as well. It was really nice around so, so Park. Hang on, hang on. Did you do 15k's in 45 minutes? Is that what I picked up? From that? <laughs> no, actually, initially. So there was a bit of confusion because initially I thought it was 15k progressive. 
but then it was changed last night to a 45 minute. So I did like 13.6. Yep. But I didn't uh, realize till the very end of the session. (laughs) (laughs) That's moving. Uh, Sinead, are you an Olympian yet or can you only be an Olympian when you, when you get to the start line? Oh, good question. Uh, I reckon you gotta get to the start line before you can call yourself an Olympian. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but I'm one step closer, which is good. You've qualified for the Olympics, which has been, you know, it's been years and years in the making. I I know you you, you picked up running late and all of that, but the hard work, the sacrifice, the injury, lockdown in Melbourne, how that's affected your your training. Was it an emotional time when you got the call and, and who made the call to let you know? Not that there was any doubt. Yeah, I mean, it's always like we've known for probably a couple of months, but it's always nice to get the call to get it confirmed because, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Like this time last year um, or March last year, we were in the same position and I was like, oh, I know I'm on the team. And then COVID hit and the game got postponed. And I was like, oh, Mm. God, maybe I'm not on the team anymore. Um, So, yeah, it was nice to get the call last Friday. Um, Andrew Fakeney. Um, the high performance guy in Athletics Australia gave me a call um, on the Thursday, and then it was announced on Friday. SEN so we were home. all like really excited. Oh, um, I can imagine. And the boys are really excited, and yeah, I thought I, I thought I'd be a bit oh, you know, well I've known for a while, but it's different. I yeah, I got quite emotional, and yeah, it was really exciting. So what between now and July, what happens? You've already mentioned that your schedule's been thrown into chaos and training events cancelled left, right and centre. We understand why. Um, and I guess you probably can't afford to look too far ahead. But what do you have planned, all things equal, in the lead up to, to Tokyo? Yeah, so the next race on the calendar for me is um, the Gold Coast Half Marathon. And that's on uh, the 3rd of July. So really, um, we just need to get to Queensland as soon as we can. Um, but we'll... You know, it's a bit tricky at the moment because we still have the restrictions uh, with um, COVID restrictions in on Melbournians. So mm. we're just trying to navigate that at the moment. But once we get to Queensland, we're going to stay there because we've got um, a training camp with Athletics Australia in Cairns until we fly out to Tokyo. Um, um, so we actually, so this year, because of COVID, um, we can't like spend that much time in Japan, so we're going to pretty much be there, fly in five days beforehand, and then fly out straight after our race. Are you uh, fully vaccinated yet? Yeah, I am. Yep, I got my Pfizer vaccine last week, the second job. Good, and that would uh, no doubt give you some confidence around that. Uh, what your expectations yeah, it's really and uh, it would be uh, your expectations, your goals around what you can achieve. Um, do you, do you get your mind drifting? Certainly in terms of your personal best times, they are very, very capable of winning a gold medal. I know it's going to be a a different kind of race as the Olympics are and very tactical, but what sort of expectations do you go over there with? Yeah. Um, I'm training really well at the moment, probably better than I ever have. So I'm going to get myself into PB shape, but as you said, it's a different kind of race over there. Given the conditions, it will be hot and humid, so definitely more of a strategic race. And we're going to have to be really, really careful because, uh, yeah, with the heat and humidity, anything can happen. So it's not going to be about time, but it will be about placing. And, you know, I'll just do my best to place as high as I can. What that will be, I don't know. but <laughs> It's all you can do. Uh, to those yeah. listening to us this morning that aren't familiar with your story, you've clearly got an Irish accent. Um 
how does a, an Irish uh, an Irish woman end up running for Australia at the Olympics? In in, in a brief uh, well, summary, Sinead, I know I know you get yeah. sick of telling this story. <laughs> I, I understand that, but for the listeners that aren't aware and are curious, uh, can you share it with them? Um, yeah, so when I um, qualified to run internationally first in 2014, I ran Melbourne Marathon and I qualified for uh, World Championships the following year. And I hadn't ever represented Ireland or Australia at that point. Um, so I could, at the time, I was able to choose either country. But um, Ireland actually knocked me out of the running because they um, changed the qualifying time for the World Champs that year to 30 seconds faster than my marathon time mm. and athletics australia gave me they uh, gave me the opportunity to run at the world champs so um i jumped at it and i've run for australia ever since and i've actually lived oh. in australia for almost 20 years now which is i still have my irish accent but you know i'm nearly <laughs> half of my life here <laughs> And I, I love it on social media when um, the Irish folk get pretty fired up about this. Uh, they don't let them live that decision down, do they? No, yeah, they keep bringing it up. So um, <laughs> Athletics Ireland, I think they're kind of trying to brush it under the carpet a bit, but it's, yeah, it's not working. <laughs> um, the challenges that goes into to running marathons, I, I don't know, it would be 15 hours a week. That's probably on the road, plus the gym work, you're a mum your work, uh, the sacrifices and the people that have helped you to get to this spot? Yeah, I mean, um, I think my biggest supporter is my husband, Colin. He's, you know, he's been wonderful throughout this and um, it's been a real challenge. We've a lot to juggle um, between just the two of us because we don't have any uh, mm. family here. I have my sister and she's amazing, but like both our sets of parents are in Ireland still. Um so he, he's been amazing. And obviously my coach and training partners um, have been great. Um, yeah, I've, like I've got a lot of um, support from close friends and families, which is which makes it a lot easier. And also, um, so I finished up work um, last week as well. So the NAB are giving me some time off um, to prep for the Olympics. So that's made a massive difference as well. Mm. You said you've worked for yeah. NAB is it for 11 years in RT. Yeah, yeah, eleven years or so. Yeah, pretty handy that support and and are the sponsors flooding in now? I reckon you're so marketable. I reckon there's a story to sell there. You resonate <laughs> with with the common people. Sinead, Nike's on board. Anyone else loading up to to get behind you? Um, no, just Nike. Just Nike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there isn't a lot of uh, sponsorship opportunities in running, uh, unfortunately. Mm. But yeah, there should be. Hey, um, favorite marathons. <laughs> I'm I'm a hack amateur runner and I love it as well but you've competed in the big ones New York you finished seventh I'm gonna say fifth in London I'm gonna say that may be wrong you've also won Melbourne in a record time in 2018 what's your favorite marathon so far that you've run um I strangely enough I'm gonna say New York even though that course is not what I would typically like because it's quite hilly but there's something iconic about New York and it was really really fun to do that one I loved it and also How's, London, like that's where my I got my PV. So you know that's one of my favourites, definitely as well. And the PB for those uh, wondering how fast someone can run for forty two point two k's. At the moment, it's two twenty four. 
224 uh, is flying. The strength of Australian distance running in track and field, we, we've spoken to a lot of the athletes. Uh, Lyndon Hall has come on this program. Stuart McSwain has come on this program. Liam Adams, yourself. We, we do try and shine a light I, because it's a passion of mine, but I think it's some great stories to tell. Uh, how strong is our team heading over there in July? Oh, I think it's really strong. I mean, look how well Stewie is racing overseas. He is, you know, up there with the best in the world and he's, you know, winning races. Um, Lyndon is absolutely on fire at the moment. It's really exciting to watch her. I think we've got a really, really strong um, Aussie team heading over. So it's really exciting. It should be a great game. Do the boys get to go with you, Mum of two boys there's a lot of restrictions about the traveling parties and who can come and who can't i, I can't imagine uh, they'd get a ticket un- unfortunately unfortunately not no there's no international spectators allowed so we had planned like calling the boys who are gonna come over and my sister but unfortunately they can't and um, they're still debating whether they're gonna have japanese spectators or not hopefully no. they do yeah <laughs> it would be good but um yeah they haven't confirmed either way yet well, Sinead, um, you've been a regular on this, not a regular, but you've come on this program before. We got you on after you ran the iconic Melbourne Marathon in a record time. A lot of people followed the story. I loved the double page in the Herald Sun. Hamish McLaughlin does it as well as anyone. Um, the way that you can resonate with just the average mum and average person out there is is your appeal. And we're right behind you. SEN is the home of the Olympics. And thank you so much for coming on this morning. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, Quarantine. Three, sorry, two twenty-four for forty-two point two kilometres. If you if you're wondering how quick that is when you break it, with all things Melbourne Rebels, you can watch the Rebels this Saturday at two thirty-five on Stan. How good is that? They take on the Crusaders. Um, and joining us from the Rebels is Ed Craig. Ed, good morning, mate. Thanks for your time. All good, Kane. How are you? Hey, mate. Uh, last year you were a teacher. Explain the transition to where you are now for us, if you don't mind. Uh, yeah, I've, I've had a bit of a unique run to uh, to professional rugby. Um, I was uh, teaching last year at a school in Sydney called Barker College, and um, I actually had a bit of a, a stint with the Reds. They needed an injury cover, so that school luckily let me take uh, six weeks uh, unpaid leave, and uh, were yeah happy to let me go and had a crack there. And then yeah, I was lucky enough to be able to be offered opportunity opportunity at the Rebels this year, and so kind of quit the job and uh, took the leap. And is it a decision that, um, well, clearly you don't regret it, uh, you know, take, was it a hard decision, I guess, is what I'm trying to say? Yeah, man, it's, it was actually a bit of a tricky one because I was, I was going from, you know, a comfortable life with a, with, a, with a decent salary to kind of dropping back to kind of being an entry-level rugby player. Mm. Um, and so I was kind of, you know, brought back from kind of you know, middle class back down to bin juice. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, no, it was, it was good. So I was kind of, you know... A lot of the guys in, in the similar stage at me at the Rebels were, were a bit younger. So, yeah, it was, it was an interesting experience. Um, yeah, definitely definitely not one I, I regret so far. Um, and, yeah, had some pretty cool experiences. So, um, yeah, it, it was a, a, bit of a, a bit of a change. But, you know, all my friends and family supported me. And, you know, you'd be crazy not to take up an opportunity to play rugby full-time. It's, yeah, it's, it's the dream, really, isn't it? Absolutely, it is. We see that a lot across all sports. That the, the dream and the lure of of getting there and having another shot at it. How have you coped with the training, preparing your body? Has there been any injuries that popped up? Do you feel prepared? Yeah, uh, preseason was was a bit of a slog. Tell you what, I was um, yeah, sitting in you know sitting in a chair teaching classes all day, seven days a week, and then the next week I was 
running, you know, heaps of meters every day and training full time, full time. So I had, you know, my knees took a little while to recover. Uh, they took a while to kind of catch up to the to the load. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, look, rugby is hard in in a different way. You get a bit more free time perhaps than than I did when I was, uh, you know, in the in the teaching world. But it's it's just as hard, but just in a different way. You know, mentally kind of gearing up for a, a big physical session day after day. Um, that's that was kind of the the biggest change I think the the mental drain it takes um, just Ed, to get yourself ready. Ed Craig joins us from the Melbourne Rebels this morning. So a couple of appearances for yourself. What what happens when you don't get picked? Where do you where do you play? Yeah, well it's, it's interesting for the Melbourne team. Um, they want us playing you know, the, the best rugby we can. So um, I'm from Sydney originally, and so I have a, a link you know with a good club Easter up there. So. Um, players from Sydney and from Brisbane, when you're not in the 23, um, they kind of release you and they, and they let you go back to, to club training on a Thursday night and then you get to run out for your club side on the weekend. And, you know, while we want to be playing for the Rebels, um, you know, playing footy is important, getting minutes under the belt. Um, you know, it's good for match fitness and just keeping up the skills. So, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty good um, in Melbourne that they let us go back. And some players play locally, particularly guys that grew up there and have allegiances to clubs there. Um, and that's really healthy for the system and the program and, and we want to be developing Melbourne guys um, mm. and so they're pretty big on that and that's good but um, for guys like myself who you know already already have a club and, and a relationship with you know a club interstate they um yeah they let us go back and do that yeah so I think from what I'm reading and hearing that's where you've resonated with the dressing room the impact that you've had with your with your perspective and the influence that you can have on some of the younger teammates who, who are some of the, the the young guns that you've identified that have a big future uh, in Melbourne and at the Rebels well, you got the guy starting this week. Um, Glennie Vahu is a is a guy that's um, been in Melbourne for a couple of years now. Him and his brother have kind of made the move, and um, they're really enjoying it there. Um, but he's uh, yeah, this is his first start this week. But I think um, guys that are really kind of Melbourne heart, Melbourne locals. You got guys that are already succeeding. Guys like Trevor Hosea, who's been in the Wallabies squad, and um, Robbie Otis had an absolute standout season. I reckon you can expect to see him. Um, in Wallaby's colours, um, you know, this year, if not in the next couple of years as well. Um, yeah, those guys that have grown up in Melbourne and they're absolutely uh, killing it at the moment. Yeah. Mm. Oh, well said, and, and thanks for sharing that with us. Hey, mate, you grew up in Sydney. Um, what is it about Melbourne? I know it's such a tough time for so many in Melbourne currently and in the last 18 months, but what have you enjoyed about Melbourne and have you fallen in love with the place? Well, I'm, uh, I'm lucky that I'm, I'll enjoy my coffee. And so that's uh, that's a pretty good uh, a good pretty good start. match for Melbourne. So, yeah, yeah, my my local uh, Joe Frank and Ash Burden, I've been really enjoying going down, grabbing a brew from there, and you know talking to their brisses about beans and whatnot. So, um, the, yeah, the coffee culture. You know, when we've got minutes, you know, time between the gym and a field session, or whatever, we're all going, uh, you know, sit in a cafe and have a have a coffee. So I've really enjoyed kind of, yeah, enjoying the the cafe culture. That's probably my main takeaway, but. Uh, I know the beaches also have been quite good, uh, particularly when it was still hot. You know, I'd regularly go down to Port Melbourne or somewhere and just lay in the sun and soak up the rays. Mm, good man. Hey, mate, it's a great story. I always appreciate you, you sharing it with us. It's not the typical story, um, and it's a, a great insight into, I guess, living the dream and, and chasing um, the lure of being a professional athlete, and we appreciate you sharing it with us this morning. Yeah, all good. Appreciate it. Good on you. Uh, Ed Craig from the Melbourne Rebels. Don't forget, you can watch the Rebels... 
that keeps you up to speed. It's uh, 29 minutes to 12 o'clock. Taking your calls now through until 12. We've got Chad's Brothers Quiz coming up. But uh, each and every Friday, and, and this audio, thanks to 3OW, of course, uh, Gillian McLaughlin joins Neil Mitchell, sometimes Tony Jones when he's filling in. Good old Chompers had another busy week to Chompers. We'll hear all about that on the Sunday Footy Show on Sunday. But one of the big stories that would have been bigger had it not been for Nathan Buckley stepping down as Collingwood coach was Adam Goods declining his induction into the Australian Football Hall of Fame. Gil was asked about that and his response this morning. I've, I've certainly spoken to him in, in recent years. I haven't spoken to him this year. That Richard Gordon, my chairman, is the chairman of the, the Hall of Fame and he's spoken to him um, um, through this and spoken to him this year and has been having a conversation with Adam. And, um, you know, he, Adam, I think, preferred that we didn't announce or detail his decision and, and the reason for the event, but, but it came out publicly. And, um, 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 you know, I guess uh, it's a decision for Adam and Adam only, and we understand and respect his choice. Clearly, he's a, he's a, a you know, I don't say this lightly, he's a champion of, of the game and a leader who gave a hell of a lot. And, um, you know, we, I think everyone hopes that there's a time in the future when he he wants to be connected to the game again. But it's got to be when he's ready. And I and I certainly understand um, that. Um, he, you know, he, he, I understand that he's not, and certainly understand that it's going to take some time. But ho- but hopefully time heals. Hopefully time heals. We can. That's all we can really hope for at the moment. Um, will the MCG hold the grand final? Surely. I hope so. But uh, if they don't, is WA leading the way? Uh, well, there's a, few, there's a bit in all that, Neil. The, the grand final is going to be the MCG. We're zero day, and, you know, I'm, I think we're all feeling confident today. Um, in the very unlikely event that somehow that wasn't possible, uh, you know, I think we'll do what we did last year and, and, and open it up. But what, what's happened is... I, and I think we knew, but I think everyone's seen that, that that stadium in Western Australia is truly world class, and that yeah, something we we already knew. I think we knew that, and we know that Western Australians love their footy. There you go. There's Gillan McLaughlin on all things. Um, we can hear a little bit more from him a little bit later on. But uh, I want to pose the question and open up the lines on one three hundred seven three six. 736. Look, it's been an emotional morning for me in here. I, I think you can probably sense that coming through the microphone. Sometimes you you have a moment where you meet someone that you look up to or you get to speak to them and it sort of sort of hits you. It's done that. But I got in the in the car last night. So I went along w- with my mother-in-law to the footy last night. She took two of my boys, uh, Raph and Sonny, they're 13 and 11. They actually sat next to David Kosh and Kosh was very generous with his time. They go in with all... Um, optimism that Port Adelaide are going to win and you take yourself back to when you're 12 years of age and your footy team wins you love it when they lose you're so depressed I get back into the car my son is in absolute tears he's he's inconsolable that Port Adelaide have lost this game of footy dad will we we be any good ever again I said yes mate relax we've got some really good young players just a game of footy when a sport made you cry one three hundred seven three six seven three six. When has sport or something to do with sport, a loss, a player retirement, Nathan Buckley standing down for those passionate Collingwood fans, when have you been reduced to tears as a result of a sporting event? It happened to me once, I think. 
And that was the 1993 prelim final for all you Bombers fans listening. I was um, there with my brother. We were seven goals up. I think I've shared this story at halftime. I'm 10 years of age. I'm sitting at a packed MCG on top of the world at halftime. We're going through to the grand final. How good's this? And then bang. I'm in the change room with the Crows players. I'll never forget it. Chris McDermott is sitting in the corner. He's in tears. I saw him. I've burst into tears. Dad's hugging me, trying to deal with the fallout from it. That was a time that I remember where sport has reduced me to tears. one 736 736 Lucas, when has sport made you cry? Oh, I've got a couple of moments, Kano. So one was in the 2006 World Cup where Matarazzi dived over Lucas Neal and they scored the penalty. I was in absolute yes. all sorts because he's, he's a cheater. And the so second physi- one was the 2000... Physically, cr- Luke, we're talking tears, Lucas? Like, it's got to be tears. Yeah, I was a child. I was I was born in 95, so I was 11. Okay, right, right, okay. I don't know, I don't know if that doesn't make it count anymore. No, 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 no that, that counts. <laughs> in 2009, I was 14 going on 15. And I, um, I cried at the 2009 granny when the Saints lost. <sighs> Good on you, mate. When has sport made you cry? My son was inconsolable for some reason last night. He's such an emotional little creature. When has sport brought you to tears? Jason? Hi, Charlie. Good, mate. Good. Um, uh, this one's actually a mate of mine. He's a Geelong supporter, so we've seen the 89, 92, 94, 95 grand finals. And when Geelong finally won the 2007... He was, he went nuts. He bawled his eyes out, blah, 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 then went missing for two weeks after they won the grand final. <laughs> A lot of people wanting to line up to have their say. Appreciate it, Jack. Let's go to the Gold Coast and speak to Chris. So when did you cry, Chris? Mate, it was all your fault, mate. I'm a Brisbane Lions supporter and I was, I think I was 15, yeah, 14, 15 years old and uh, late in the last quarter when uh, I think, I think Byron picked, oh no, maybe Wanganeen kicked the goal. Mm. I stormed off from the room and started crying and everyone's going to jump off as Queensland footy's <laughs> gone, Brisbane Lions are gone, stuff you, Kane Corn. <laughs> well, geez, you're a sport brat, Chris. You've just won the previous three. I think I think you'll be right, mate. Wipe the tears away. Get on with it. You've got three in the bank. Uh, good on you, mate. Phil's in Geelong. Phil, when did you cry? Yeah, how you going, Kano? I'm good, mate. That's the way. Um, yeah, I think uh, when... Um Poor old Jimmy Steins passed away, uh, mm-hmm. loyal Melbourne supporter. Um, but uh, probably Teddy Whitten's the most memorable one when he went around the jury with his son. Around the MCG, that was a that was one of the more most emotional moments I've ever seen. You wouldn't be alone on that one, Phil. And, and you know, clearly someone losing their life, like the example that you mentioned with Jimmy Steins and, you know, been through that and losing teammates and um, Phil Walsh situation. But um, in terms of you know, when sport has made you cry, uh, let us know. A lot of people wanting to have their say. More, more, more the lighter moments that we can look back on now and and view with a bit more of a positive lens. Alex is in Brisbane. Uh, when did you cry, Alex? Got you there, Alex. We might just leave Alex there. I think just driving along, perhaps just waiting to come on. Lachlan is in Docklands. Uh, when did sport make you cry? Jane, how are you, mate? Uh, in 2017, when the Bombers played the Hawks in round one and they came back from the uh, drug suspension, um, mm-hmm. we, like Hawthorne, obviously just won, uh, won three of the last four and the boys came back and had a win and 
I'm a grown man, and I was crying in the MCC <laughs> reserve, absolutely blind drunk, and it was one of the best nights of my life. So. I love it. Uh, that's a ripper. We've got a price for Lachlan. We'll find you something. I'll put you back to Benny. That's, that's I love that sort of stuff. Uh, Tom, uh, what's your story, Tom? Uh, yeah, so uh, probably uh, I think one that every uh, one around Australia was watching, uh, I think back in 2002 when Media Puzzle um, won the Melbourne Cup uh, with uh, Damien Oliver on board. Obviously, his brother had passed away only a few days earlier. Um, and, uh, you know, him obviously, um, crossing the post and, uh, saluting to the heavens, my boy, my boy to his brother. Um, and, uh, from a, from a football point of view, um, you know, being a lifelong Geelong supporter, watching the pain in all throughout the nineties and then, uh, standing there in 2007, uh, with my dad. At home at a barbecue, I think we just started at quarter time. I think we just started, you know, holding each other and we were just crying all through the second half, you know, as, uh, as our boys, um, got over the top of your cane. Sport does funny things to grown men and, and women for that matter and kids and all of us. It's so emotional. It's what we absolutely love about it. One more and we'll, we'll take a short break, but we'll get back to all of your calls. Uh, Ryan, uh, when did you, when were you reduced to tears, buddy? Uh, I'm a St Kilda supporter, so quite regularly, but I was 18, it was 1997, <laughs> at a mate's house, half-time, had a skin full, with line, it was great, and then just proceeded to watch Darren Jarman rip my heart out, and <sighs> my mates found me one street over, curled up in a ball, like crying my eyes out after the game. Good on you, Ryan. A lot of coming through on the temper text, 043398 I cry every time Carlton play, says Tommy. Uh, this one, when Jack Watts kicked the sealer against the Pies in 2017. Uh, not a big game in the grand scheme of things, but felt so much pity for him over the years. This is Jack Watts when he was getting hammered, so it was so enjoyable watching him in that happy place just once. Now, that may or may not have been from a Benjamin Lyon, the producer of this show. Uh, we're going to hold the quiz just for a second. What we're going to do, we're going to give the prize that would have been for the quiz... To the best, what made me cry. We'll get to Tim, Jack, Sean, Rob, Pete and Grant. A lot of people with great stories that we need to hear. So it's 18 minutes to 12 o'clock. We'll get through your calls next. CN, the Captain's Run with Kane Corns. Yeah, now we said stuff this. Get rid of the quiz. We're taking your calls. I got in the car last night. My 11-year-old son was inconsolable in tears after Geelong got the better of his beloved Port Adelaide last night. So it got me thinking, when has sport made you cry? Tickets to the footy up for grabs. We'll sort it out which game you want to go to. Tell me when sport made you cry. Let's go to the big man in Geelong. Woo! There's a new cap man, a goal Woo! He's tougher than a timber for goal Or dangerous than a nanny for rover. That's our boy, Sammy Man, a goal It's been too long, mate. It's been too long. When did sport make you cry? First time I won your quiz, big guy. That's all I oh, think about. Oh, there you go. Big man in Geelong. What a superstar he is. Very fired up with his cats last night. Let's go to Caulfield and speak to Alex. When did sport make you cry? Got you there, Alex. When were you in tears, mate, on the back of a sporting result? Nah, we've lost him. He just dropped out. So let's go to Timmy, who's waiting patiently. Uh, Tim, when did the Good tears day. roll down your cheeks? 
Mate, there's two times, mate. Firstly, as an Australian sports fan, the actions of the Australian cricket team that uh, just ripped the heart and passion out of everyone, and uh, as a grown man, made me cry with um, Sandpaper Gate or whatever you want to call it. And the second one is a young fella actually going to the Western Oval and watching a young bloke come over from Adelaide and get um, get injured, and um, two days later finding out the man never could walk again. So a guy mm. called um, Neil Sash. Absolutely. Um, yeah, what a, what a tragic story that was. Uh, good on you, Tim. Thanks for your thoughts, mate, and sharing those with us. Sean's in Diamond Creek. Hi, Sean. Yeah, after years of getting up early on a Monday morning and watching Greg Norman at the Masters, that last one where Mick um, Feldo uh, got up and won and the Sharks capitulated. That was what, what year again, Sean? Refresh my memory. 96. 90, oh, 96. I'm way, way off. So you physically cried. Oh, well, I'm pretty sure I did. I didn't burst out crying, but <laughs> I, um, you know, I've done it for years, getting up and watching him, and, yeah, that was you were uh, shattered. pretty hard. You were shattered, mate. Good on you. Um, the shark, he choked, and Sean cried. Rob's in Point Cook. G'day, Rob. G'day, Kane. How are you? I'm good, mate. When did sport make you cry? Oh, mate, well, first of all, the 82 grand final, Carlton versus Richmond, 11-year-old, just uh, had to go on the corner, put a blanket over my head, it was mm-hmm. no good, and then uh, 2017 grand final, when the Tigers got home after all those years, as a 50-year-old, what a great occasion, you know, that's a cry, mate, especially looking at Benny Gale, the rest yep. of the players, uh, you know, Richo on the, on the side there, oh, mate, what an occasion. Uh, it's ball my eyes out. The kids, they tell everyone when Dad cried, so, you know. I can understand that. Uh, and, you know, the scenes of 2016 when the dogs break the drought, uh, Geelong we've spoken about in 07, and you just fast forward to what would happen should Melbourne lift the cup up in September this year. Tears everywhere across Melbourne. Uh, Grant's in Sydney. Hi, Grant. Uh, not a biggie, but uh, the last game in 1990 when West Tyrants played their last game against Woodville, that choked me up. I cried. That was in the well, West yeah, Tyrants. Definitely. When, when a team goes and you lose that history, there'd be you know, so many Fitzroy supporters that would have shed a tear as well. I, I think that's that's reasonable. Good on you, mate. Rowan's on the line. When did sport make you cry, buddy? Uh, yeah, highly invested in St Kilda at the time. Um, the Rewalt days in 2010. I was at the grand final, the drawn. And um, just the result uh, just brought me. Brought us, I didn't cry as bad as what you sounded like the like your son did, but mm. I was definitely gutted. Yeah, it was a hard time that day. That was a hard one. Knowing you got to come back and do it all over again. Jacob's on the line. G'day, Jacob. And yeah, for me, um, it would have been 2018 Collingwood Richmond prelim. So I'm a Collingwood Legends member, and. Um, I was actually, I go to every game, I've been to the grand finals, but I was actually on exchange in Germany at the time, and uh, 11 a.m. in the morning, and I listened to it, actually listened to the call on um, SEN, and it was Gary, Hutto, and Jared, and I just couldn't believe it, mate, like, what we did to, to that great Richmond team, and goal after goal was just, I couldn't believe it, I literally couldn't see it, so I was only hearing it, and I was tearing up, and half was it because I was excited about what was going on, but half was because I knew I wasn't going to make it the next week into the grand oh. final, but pretty big moment. Crying happy tears. Love that. Good on you, mate. Thanks for sharing your story. Sid's in Geelong. G'day, Sid. Yeah, g'day, Kane. How are you, mate? I'm good. Um, la- la- yeah, mate. The last last time I cried, mate, was 95. Living, living in Geelong. 
beating uh, Geelong in the grand final as a Carlton supporter, mate. Doesn't get much better than that. Can't imagine it does. Sid, appreciate your thoughts, buddy, and your memories. Pete's on the line. When did you cry, Pete? Yeah, Kane, a couple of track and field moments. Uh, Kerry McCann uh, entering the stadium 2006 Commonwealth Games and uh, a bit earlier than that, Derek Redmond tore his hamstring uh, in the back straight of the 92 Barcelona Olympics and wanted to finish the semi-final and uh, was struggling, so his old man jumped the fence and uh, helped him get through the tape. Good on you, PC. I've got a soft spot for athletics. So I'm going to put you back to Ben. He's going to sort you out with a prize. It'll be tickets to the footy and ballpark entertainment. We'll um, let you choose which game that will be at 7 minutes to 12. We'll be back with Tony Lewis and Jack and to wrap things up on the other side of the... The Captain's Run with Kane Corns. Yeah, Jan Pack. We're not going to get to everyone, which I feel sad about. But Dwayne, I'm Dwayne Midday Madness. He'll take your calls right through, uh, as we always do on SEN. So if you didn't get on this morning, give Dwayne a call. I'm sure he'd love to take your call. We'll, we'll get to Terry in Mount Martha. Terry, quickly, what uh, what sporting event made you cry? Mate, it was um, right in the heart of it. It was the uh, Kenneth Curse um, with Hawthorne Geelong. And... They'd been nutting us up the siren consistently and sort of uh, I was getting a bit sick of it. And um, Tommy Hawkins was lining up. He was probably 55 out, you remember. And he's uh, slotted straight through. It was like a dagger through my heart. I've turned around. My wife looked at me and she said, are you okay? And I went, uh, actually, Dale, this, this time I'm not. So I had to walk walk away from her straight to the tour. It uh, took me two minutes to get over that one. I'm not okay, says Terry. Good evening, mate. Appreciate your thoughts. And to everyone who joined in the conversation with us this morning, it's been a really fun morning, um, and thanks for sharing it uh, with me this morning. Appreciate to to Benny back in the studio and Johnny who helped this uh, show go to air. And um, if you've missed any of it, please check out our social media and listen back. If you're a fan of sports and pop culture, the interview with Chris Ryan is well worth a listen. Crystal Ball predictions, Hawks and the Swans for... Thirsty Camel, Carlton Draft Crystal Ball Competition at iconwin.com.au. The Swans to win comfortably, Buddy to kick five plus against his former side, and then to consolidate their position in the top eight once again. Dwayne Russell is up next. He was in great form at the footy last night. Dwayne's well to take you through the afternoon right here on your home sport. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.